you know, if you run email for a brand internally or as an agency externally, this is the one thing that I think is going to either make your life really great. You know, it's going to put you on top of the world when somebody recognizes that you caught something early before it was too late, but it's also going to be the, be the thing that could end your business or could cause a lot of issues because, you know, if you're running email for a brand that's doing $80 million and you didn't check the box on something that messes with Google and fucks up your email, you're fired. There's no, there's no going back from there. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Nick, the first decade in e-commerce was all about customer acquisition with Facebook, Google, and Snap. The next decade of e-commerce is going to be all about customer retention. Now, at the end of the day, you got to look at what's left in the bank account when all is said and done. What's the contribution margin look like and how much profit is there that will fund my next purchase order or my next ad campaign? With your AOV, I bet your customers would have loved the loyalty program. When I was at Hint, our loyalty program was incredible, but it was too outdated. That's why I'm so excited that we're partnering with Tandem for this season. Tandem is the infrastructure that allows brands to launch their own branded credit cards in less than 48 hours. With branded cards from Tandem, you cut processing fees by 66% and use their suite of tools to improve your contribution margin by up to 10%. Book your demo with Tandem and see how branded payments can level up your business. If you go to ddc.creditcard in your browser, you'll even get a $100 Amazon gift card to take a demo. That's ddc.creditcard. And book a demo to see how you can maximize contribution margin. Okay, Nick, we're back with the next episode of season seven. Um, we're going to do a big breakdown of a report that you're looking at. And then we've got some email stuff to talk about because Google has made the changes. You know, We're recording uh, on February 4th. And so the changes that Google made for emails is now live. We want to talk about that as well. Uh, but let's start with this report. Tell us a little bit about it. Okay, so this is a report that uh, we mentioned it before. Um, you can get it by going to nick.co slash report. It's basically a report on how advertisers are planning to spend their media in 2024. And I went through it again with with our media team and was just th- thinking about and talking about some of the channels that are not necessarily the ones everybody thinks of, social and search and just general digital channels. And so the two two channels that I thought uh, didn't get enough love in this report compared to what we see works well were podcasts and TV. So I wanted to talk about that. And then there was also a lot of skepticism we saw in terms of myths from TV. And so that was another one I wanted to talk about is the TV myths and sort of like breaking down or myth busting those myths. So let's start with the first one, the podcasts and TV. So I was trying to think, you know, how do we look at the role of podcasts and TV in a mixed media channel strategy? So typically this is, this is something that gets introduced when brands are already starting to spend pretty aggressively on digital. So they've launched, they're getting their customers, they're scaling, they've found messaging that works and an offer, and they're continuing to scale. I remember when I was running ads for Native, I uh, talked to Brian Lee, who founded Honest Co. And yeah. I, it would probably like a $20 million run rate. And he's like, look, Facebook will get you to 30 to $50 million in revenue. And then afterwards, you're going to need to find new channels. You're going to look at podcasts and TV. I also think that's changed a little bit. Like uh, I think back in the day, lot. I think like the undies and Bomba socks were built on podcasts because they were touching a channel that nobody else was touching. And now that's not the case anymore. Like, you know, podcast stores have gotten more sophisticated. 
And so brands, and so you can't necessarily start on an early, you can't start on podcasts anymore. Yeah, fully agreed. I, I mean, I think like even some of the brands we work with, there's very, very few that I come across that have actually built a huge business. Let's, let's call it 20 million plus a year solely off the back of Facebook. I mean, there obviously are, I could name probably a few, but at some level, these, you know, it's hard to like break through the noise. And so that's where I do think adding a channel like podcast or TV, which acts as sort of that awareness, but also validation helps to bring or, uh, you know, make more efficient use of the lower funnel digital spend. You know, I used to think that like people who said television validation were, were like ridiculous. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. My business is doing $40 million in revenue. It's validated. Uh, but the reality is, I, th- I think that's actually really true. A lot of times when people see Facebook ads, you know, I still remember the number of comments I used to get for Facebook ads and people would be like, this is scam. This is scam. Is this a scam? I ordered three days ago. I haven't received it. Scam, 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 scam. I ordered this morning. I haven't received it. Scam. I got charged for a recurring subscription. This is scam. And like, you know, people who are reading the comments and seeing these digital ads will be like, yes, this is a scam. Or like even somebody saying, you know, you could have a thousand comments. 999 are positive. One is I didn't get my product. This is a scam. And I'd be like, maybe I shouldn't buy this. Yeah. TV doesn't have that issue. You see things on TV. For some reason, you're like, this brand exists. They spent a lot of money. This creative is sophisticated. It does offer a lot of validity in the way that digital ads don't. Yeah, fully like You don't agree. see Chinese dropshippers running TV ads. <laughs> like they just don't do that. Yeah. Well, like obviously I agree with your point. I think TV adds a certain level of validation that, oh, wow, they're, they're on TV. They're not just running. It's not just a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad, which now I think everybody pretty much knows anybody can run one of those. Like you can boost your own photos to get more likes now. But with TV, not only do you get that, but it's like, you have to, you know, whatever gets advertised, you have to provide claims for. We had a supplement brand recently that went to, you know, basically put a large order in for TV and everything that, that their site or their ad mentions as even helps. So not like, not like, Hey, this will make your sleep better, but this will help your sleep or improve your sleep. You have to provide claims for everything there as well. Yeah. Yeah. When we were running native, I remember we went to like, um, I actually, I remember it because it was Fox and we said the internet's best-selling deodorant. And they're like, you need to prove that this is the internet's best-selling deodorant. And we're like, look, we're the number one seller on Amazon. And, you know, we're an internet brand. Like, you know, we're obviously the internet's best-selling deodorant. And they're like, no, you can't, you have to prove this. And this was a time when we were part of P&G and P&G's legal counsel was like, I, oh, we like sent it to them and we're like, do we have to prove, how do we prove this? And they're like, I've never seen Fox ask for validation. <laughs> they'll, they're, they're like, I've seen it from ABC. I've seen it from NBC. But they're like, Fox is asking? You guys are fucked. You have no chance. We, they've never said no to anything. And they just said no to you guys. <laughs> you guys are fucked. And they knew at this time you were a part of P&G? Yeah, this time they knew that we were a part of wow. Yeah, yeah, they knew we were a part of P&G. It's like, actually, my mom's name is Internet. And it's her favorite brand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. yeah, it was insane. Okay. So Moyes, with TV and podcasts, in this report, only 27% of people said that they plan to use podcasts, and only 17% of people said they plan to use TV. However, in my experience, I'm curious about yours, anytime you add TV on to your digital performance spend, your social finds ways to find, you know, get in front of new people, and search also allows you to create this funnel that you can directly attribute to TV and just capture more high-intent users. 
And of course, you can use attribution tools like Northbeam because they know exactly when your commercial aired and how to basically attribute traffic spikes or conversion spikes, things like that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to what you said, but there's some stuff that I disagree with. So um, yes, uh, not surprising that's, you know, only a certain percentage of people wanted to use TV and podcast just because, you know, if you're a brand doing $5 million in sales a month, you're not going to like be able to afford those things. I do think that there is a halo effect that TV brings that nothing else, like nothing like it brings. Like uh, people recognize your brand, they see it. There is that stamp of validity. And I think that there's like a stamp of like, you know, that stamp of validity extends in stores and in social media. So advertised on TV, when native advertised on TV, I felt like great when people saw our ad on Facebook, they're like, oh yeah, I've seen this brand elsewhere. When they were walking by our products on our end caps at Target, they're like, oh yeah, I saw this brand on television when I was watching some show. And so I think there is that halo effect, which is impossible to quantify. And I would say the the attribution, the measuring part is the hardest part because yes, uh, Northbeam might know when my TV ad aired and they might be like, great, it aired at 6 p.m. or 6.04 p.m. on East Coast. Let's see the spike in traffic. The reality is some of that halo effect never gets calculated. And I think that the reality is also, you know, there's enough people watching on DVRs or YouTube TV or just like, okay, I saw a commercial, then I saw a Facebook ad, then it converted. I, I always thought when I was running these ads that attribution was really hard to do, but I did feel like there was an overall effect. Yeah. I, I used to always say like the, the only way we will fully, fully understand attribution is when Meta Zuck has put like a contact lens in our eyes. Might be sooner than later with Apple Vision Pro. Yeah, I, I, I look, I want to wear that contact lens. By the way, did you order an Apple Vision Pro? Pro? I've resisted so far, but I saw okay. this example. Did you see that video where the guy was in sitting in coach in a middle or in an aisle seat on a flight in coach? And he was, you know, he looked pretty crammed, but then he had this 40 inch screen in front of him that was basically his laptop that he airplayed. So he had his laptop closed. He was just using the keyboard and mouse basically looking up and he had that. And then he looks to the left and it's like the basketball game that he's watching. That made me That's a believer awesome. no, in wanting to yeah. use it. I feel like it can be very productive. Yeah. It does look awesome. Okay. So, all right. Another segment here, moving on from the, the media mix is the top TV myths. And I think you're going to like this because we're talking about basically measurement, uh, the cost of production and the cost of testing. But in the measurement thing, I've got a little golden nugget that I think you're going to love. So did okay. you know that the old way of getting TV ratings is basically there's 40,000 people that are chosen at random to participate in a massive survey. And based on what those 40,000 people say, they watch, they like, they dislike, whatever that percentage of users that says that out of 40,000 people is then directly applied to, to national TV ratings. So if 10% of people watch Ramon pitch Genius Litter on Shark Tank on Friday and they reported that, they'd say that the 10% of the country saw Ramon pitch on Shark Tank. And the funniest part is uh, these 40,000 people, do you know how they get compensated? Yeah, I do. They put like $4, four $1 bills in an envelope yeah. that they mail to you. And I know yeah. that because twice I've gotten the envelope and I've gotten you the did. dollars and I'm like, fucking A, yes. Like I remember one <laughs> time I almost threw it, I threw it out and I opened it up and I was like, there's five, $4 in here? This is awesome. And they're that all $1 awesome. bills and they're crisp as fuck. I know exactly how they get compensated. I've gotten it twice in my life 
and I get so excited when I see it. What was the no, no. exchange they, they of the pay $4? You before, they, no, no, they, pay, they pay you $4 and they're like, here's the survey. Please fill it out. And I assume that if you fill it out, you're more likely to get the survey in the future. Although I'm not yeah. even sure that's the case. But they pay you the money before you do the survey. Wow. It's the yeah, great. So it's, 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 it feels like, you know, you just won the lottery. And I mean, I know it's $4, but like, you know, it changes my whole weekend. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. I did it. I made these balls. I'm balling. Let's I go to the dollar store. Dollars. Everybody's getting $4. something. <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, yeah I, I get so excited about it. Comes out. I really want to get uh, jury duty because I want to get put into some cool case. And I really want to get the $4. Those are the two things that I haven't gotten that I want to yeah, get. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna um, get into jury duty, and they're gonna be like, "This guy, like, you know, broke into a car," and you're gonna have to sit there yeah. for a week and listen to it for a week. And you're like, yeah. "Here he is on tape," and then he admitted it, and now he's yeah. saying he didn't do it, and you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah. fuck!" So that's how the old way of ratings was done. Yeah, and it's really hard to do measurement now. So, so I, I was trying to think what TV because do you remember uh, a few seasons ago we talked about the laser laser flare or. Uh, the as seen on TV, we, we started talking about AJ Kubani. Oh, Lizard Flare. That was the product I'd found. And, yes. you know, that was interesting because I was like, all right, these guys are basically their whole playbook is TV. Like they understand TV. They reverse engineer product market fit based on what they know is going to work well on TV. So I started to think, who are the best TV advertisers that I know of in term, not in terms of production or creative, but like tactically and strategically? And the two advertisers I thought about, one was My Pillow, and one was Guthy Ranker, which basically they manage the TV advertising for companies like Proactive early in the day. They either owned or were a majority partner in It Cosmetics, and yeah. they also launched J Lo Beauty with uh, Jennifer Lopez. And basically, the way that they do it is, um, you know, they launch all these creatives at scale, and then they use their own sort of form of attribution to figure out which ones work. So if you go to nick.co slash ads, you will see, it's just a redirect. It goes to iSpot TV's ad library for MyPillow. You'll see tons of creatives. And basically what they do is they use a combination of unique uh, coupon codes, vanity URLs, and phone numbers. So different phone numbers will then attribute you differently in their backend system or in their CRM. And they basically start, you know, the same way that we, you might put, you know, an ad up on Facebook, six ads in an ad set, turn it on, you see sort of which ones are getting the clicks and you quickly start turning them off. They're basically doing that using unique coupon Television. codes, vanity URLs and phone numbers as the inputs, looking at that data and then deciding what to cut and what to keep pushing and what to, you know, yeah. then create based on that. You and I both had lunch with AJ Kubani, and um, I think it was, it was separately. And I remember when I chatted with him, he was basically thinking about TV ads the same way you and I think about Facebook ads. And I yeah. was shocked at that because I was like, you know, it costs so much to make these to make the creative. You know, you got to do so much iteration. Uh, you don't know what works and what doesn't. And he's like, "Are you crazy? You know, I've got the guy from Home Improvement, not like Tim the Toolman Taylor, but Al, his uh, his boy, and." He does like 40 videos with me for this garden thing that I'm running. And, uh, you know, we have different, you know, and, and he thought about it just the way we think about Facebook ads, which is iterate, figure out what works, put money behind what works. 
And I, I just didn't assume that you could do that with TV ads. I just assumed that like, you know, Facebook was the place that people did that, especially because like static ads are so cheap to make and video ads are so expensive. The create, like, you know, the production quality for TV ads gets to be so high. Uh, but he thought yeah. the same way. And uh, but I guess like, you know, you, you, you say uh, using unique codes, vanity URLs and phone numbers. I get you. I get vanity URLs. I get unique codes. Is phone numbers still like are these uh, are TV ads still like call in to purchase? A lot of them are like a lot of the old school, you know, like the my pillow hmm. Guthy Ranker type stuff, which yeah. I consider the equi- the equivalent of us running listicles and advertorials on Facebook. Is this on TV? Right? It's like the most direct response type stuff you can do that is both education leading, but also you know finishes up very direct response. There's obviously stuff that's uh, more brand heavy or more awareness led, but this stuff is the more DR stuff, and so. The phone numbers, for example, uh, like I think they do really well. And I mean, that's where at this point, phone these phone systems, like if you call them, they're fully automated. You don't even need a person on the other side to get through a purchase. Okay, gotcha. It just asks you questions. It records the answers. And then somebody in the Philippines is probably listening to the recording and transcribing it into the system. It's like it's like wow. if SkyMall was slightly more automated, you know, you fill out the form and mail it in yeah. and then they transcribe yeah. everything and like place the order. Wow. Okay, that's awesome. And I think there's actually going to be some, you know, have you seen the stuff like that Google and uh, OpenAI have been releasing around voice, like having conversations with the AI? No. Okay, so you, like you should download the ChatGPT iPhone app and I think you might have to pay for the premium chat GPT, but you can literally converse with it. Like you can talk to it and say, Hey, I'm thinking about, uh, going to, you know, Italy and I'm staying here at this hotel. I need five restaurants that are right around that are gluten-free, whatever. It'll literally just talk right back to you with the full answer. That's awesome. But I think Google's doing that as well. Yeah. Google's doing that as well with Google. It's cool. Cause you can like, I can, uh, look up my barbershop, click request a time and it calls them talking like a human saying, hey, do you have time for a haircut at 6 p.m. today? And then it understands the response and formulates another response. And so what if they say, no, uh, it's just 4 p.m. work. What will the AI do? Yeah, it'll it'll ask me on text, do, you know, oh, or wow. text or like within the app, Do you are you okay with 4 p.m. instead? That's insane. I've got like, uh, crazy. You know, my home is set up with Google Home and yeah. it's all it's way worse than Alexa. Like, uh, I'm like, really? well, is it raining outside? And they're like, there is a chance of rain. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's way worse than Alexa. And so yeah. I'm surprised that Google's, I'm glad Google's there. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So I think that technology applied to the TV stuff is going to be something that like whoever's yeah, building that, that or huge. is about to test that. Uh, wow. If you listen to this, tell us, because I think that's really interesting. Yeah, um, that is The huge. other thing is through measurement, you know, whether you use Northbeam or Tatari, uh, their own internal measurement tool. Well, the other cool thing is like generally, you know, in e-commerce is all these companies that have been built alongside Facebook ads for reporting, for attribution, for better copyright, whatever it is for, you know, uh, analytics is all these tools that have been built on top of this ecosystem that didn't necessarily exist in the TV world. And so most of them, the platforms that you buy on like Tatari, they have all these tools pretty much integrated. So you have your version of Northbeam, you have your version of motion analytics, you have your version of Google analytics. 
all built in. And then you can understand things like, you know, sales lift within X amount of minutes of airing, which is, you know, how 47% of people in the report said that they measure their sales. You can look at site traffic lift within X minutes of airing, but then also the use of promo codes or vanity URLs, which would tell you, you know, pretty much what ad you came from. So for example, like when we used to run Judy TV ads, we used to do this thing where we would just put judy.co slash TV as the vanity URL. As soon as somebody went to that URL, we could tell which ad they came from, uh, which region they came from, because we were also using a redirect with uh, GeoTargetly, so we could see the IP address of the user that came in. Not one single way is going to answer which ad does the best or which ad is performing the best, but the combination of this data is going to let you do it. The other thing is with Convergent TV, which is not just TV, uh, streaming TV or linear TV or cable, it's the combination of online video streaming and linear, you don't just get to target uh, programming like you know a certain show that's running or football uh, or just channels, but you can actually do more programmatic like targeting. You can say, I want to target males that are between 25 and 35 in these areas or that have these interests or have this affinity. So yeah, that's that's my myth busting on measurement. Any any counters or thoughts there? What was what was the golden nugget in that? What was the golden nugget how people get paid? No, the golden nugget was well, in my head the golden nugget was the the my pillow ads. <laughs> like understanding oh, my how my pillow yeah. goes through attribution and, yeah. and understanding which ads are worth scaling or which ads are worth pausing. And honestly, somebody sh- you, you should go to that link cuz you can see how they test like how they chop up basically one shoot and edit it into, you know, a hundred different ways. It's really fascinating. I hate video ads and I hate video in general because it's so expensive to produce and so expensive to iterate on. And I, I like, you know, for me, it was just always like, you know, photo costs $4 uh, yeah. or like, you know, one photo shoot. And then I can write like, you know, when I was running native <laughs> ads, first it was desktop only. And like, you know, I would have uh, just text at the top, text at the bottom, then caps lock, camel case, like you know, all these things to figure out what worked, but it only cost me one photo. It never right. cost me all this money on iteration. And like the other part is, I, I like I know how to use Photoshop. I don't know how to use anything to edit videos, and so I'm always terrified cut. of like CapCut. Okay, I'm always terrified of like doing things where I'm like, how do I edit this on the video? Like I wanted to save this on the bottom, but then I wanted to go away, and so like I always shied away from A/B testing videos, and like you know all these other people didn't. The My Pillow guy, uh, AJ Kubani, and like they've like you know that was what you had to do 15 years ago. Like that was right. the, like that was the only way to get sales. So I'm always impressed by people who can do. The other thing too is like, you know, going into the myth of creative production, because people said that was the second biggest reason they didn't move into TV. But one thing you can do is use like customer UGC. Either you pay customers and say, hey, we want to license your content or B, go find like one of these content. I mean, think about how many content creators have emerged in the last three years that just, you know, they are just dying to make videos for brands. And, you know, you could probably get a couple commercials for less than 10 grand. I know for Judy, we did this. We got two commercials from a mommy YouTuber for five grand, and they both did really well. The other thing Cadence did was like, they just took, I mean, they have beautiful photography. I think the gold standard of photography and video for their site, but they just repurposed their own content they shot from their photo and video shoot, and then just added text overlays with some soft music. And that became a TV ad that did decently well for them. Cadence is the brand you and I are both invested in, right? Like the little capsules. Yeah. yeah. 
their product is uh, particularly good at that. I wonder if anyone like, you know what I would do if I were running a brand right now? I would find a viral TikTok or like I'd find a TikTok ad that worked for me and I'd be like, yeah, let me put this on genius. television and see if that works. Yeah. Uh, like, it's so smart. Imagine like hearing the music that you hear or like, you know, that thing that you see on TikTok and you're like, what is this? Like, you know, nobody, nobody's done that yet as far as I can tell. Yeah. And a bunch of TikTok videos have gone viral, certainly for products. Like if I was Stanley Quencher, I would put some Stanley Quencher TikTok ad on television and be like, is this going to work or not? And even if it didn't, I think it would blow up because people would be like, these guys are repurposing TikTok ads for television. Yeah, it'd be a good like PR thing. The yeah. um the Stanley video, do you remember that video that went viral where the car basically blew up, yeah. but the Stanley yeah. drink was still cold? Like yes. that, they should have went to her and been like, we'll give you $100,000 if you come stay with us for a weekend and shoot a commercial. And uh, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't. Or even you know just, what they did do? hey, we'll pay you and run run this TikTok as the TV ad. Uh, yeah, that would have been a really interesting TikTok. You know what they did do for her? Do you know what they did? They bought her a new car, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they like definitely closed the loop on making sure that was like yeah. a fantastic, like, uh, you know, ad story. <laughs> yeah, that was a great story. Okay, Nick, I went to Long Weekend's website and I used Weekend Pay when I checked out. I know that's powered by Tandem. Can you tell me what the hell Weekend Pay is? Yes, so Tandem's awesome. Have you ever gone to JetBlue's website or the Macy's store and been asked to sign up for their credit card? That's because the stores benefit from lower processing fees, higher shopper AOV, higher customer loyalty, and a higher repeat purchase rate. Tandem allows any Shopify brand to build their own branded credit card system. Previously, you had to be a billion dollar a year brand to go to a big bank and build a branded credit card with them. I've actually gone down that path to see what's possible, and that's how I actually discovered Tandem. The same team that built this at Capital One for brands is now making it so that any DTC brand can immediately launch a branded credit card. On top of that, with Tandem, you can focus on contribution margin. Many of the brands launching with Tandem are seeing a 10% increase in contribution margin from the program. 2024 is the year to focus on profit. To learn more about Tandem, open your browser and enter dtc.creditcard and then press enter. Book a demo with the amazing team at Tandem. And if you're a brand that does over $5 million a year, you'll get a $100 Amazon gift card. Again, go to dtc.creditcard to make more profit. The last myth that I wanted to bust was, okay, and I thought this was, this was something that was in my head too, was basically the cost of testing. So when I first ran TV ads, the cheapest option for us to run TV ads was running it through a TV ad agency that basically had access to whatever the trade desk equivalent is in TV. And you had to spend at least $60,000 in remnant media just to even like, that was a foot in the door, the bare minimum. Uh, And now you can run TV for as little as five grand and you don't have to go through a media buying agency. Of course, they'll help you with the strategy and everything we've talked about so far. But if you use something like a Tatari, you get access to the convergent TV, which again is the streaming linear and online. And you can start with five grand. You, you know, if you run five grand a week, you can get a pretty decent uh, understanding of your creative. Is the creative driving site sessions? You know, you might not see a huge influx of purchases, but you can start to understand the messaging on TV that is working for your brand. You know, 5K is like, how much do you think it costs? Like, okay, so the UGC stuff aside, if you're producing a TV ad, how much does it cost, do you think? Um, how much did it cost Judy when you, you said 10 grand for each of those YouTubers or you paid her 10 grand? We paid 10 grand total for two. 
including the creator. You paid her, yeah. like you know. See, I, look, I've uh, you know when we experimented with native, this was again a part of PNG, and so there was a little bit of a like. Um, it actually made it harder, and the reason that it made it harder was we were a part of SAG, Screen Actors Guild, and right. so any actor or actress that was in the ad got paid a residual, meaning every time Ooh. the ad aired, they got paid money. And I we was didn't like, do any of that. Oh, you can- in fact, I remember yeah, a hint. We had to go through like three or four talent agencies because we had this one paragraph that we wrote that basically said, there is an irrevocable worldwide royalty-free license to use any of this content that you star in and you sign your rights over forever. And there was and only one was company- because everybody wants the, you know, either A, they want the residuals or B, they want, you know, it's like, hey, you can use my face for the next six months, but then after that, I want to re-up on payment, which at the time, you know, morally, sure, makes sense. But like when you're the brand, you're like, fuck no, I'm paying for this right now. The biggest threat is actually not even the fact that you're trying to get something for cheap. It's that you hire somebody, they join in three years, they see this one creative, they run it, and now you've opened yourself up to a lawsuit. Also, the idea is like, look, I get it. If you're like, you know, you're going to become a big actor, you know, two years from now, you become like, you know, I got Tom Brady advertising my product right now, but before (laughs) he joins the Patriots or like before Drew Bledsoe gets injured and he becomes Tom Brady. And then he's like, look, you're using my face and name. Now I'm huge. You know, I understand where they're coming from, but I also understand the brand's perspective, which is like, look, right now you got no job or like, you know, this is your job. And so like, you know, um, when I build a house, and I sell it to somebody, they don't pay me rent every month. They own the house. Like that's their house now, right? What about my hard labor? Uh, You know, that's what I got paid for already. So I'm, you know, that always like stung me a little bit, especially the, the, like the residuals definitely stung me. Although the people we worked with, I went down for the shoot were fantastic. I always like hated that residual portion of it. And that also made me a little bit more cautious about television advertising. Yeah. At some level, you probably like PNGs at whatever that level is. Hopefully, most people don't get or don't yeah, have to yeah, most deal with that level. But, with that. Um, all right, you can go get the report at nick.co slash report. But Moyes, let's get to the email stuff because I believe we got some updated email information since the last time we talked about it. So basically, I got some of this information from Google and some of the guys at Sunlane sent me, and I'm not an investor in Sunlane Dude, or anything, but I appreciate I, it. Yeah, can we just talk about this for a second? Did Jimmy DM you? updates based on the episode that he heard because he dm um, me things and i was like first of all that's amazing the fact that he's so tapped in he's he yeah. knows exactly what we're saying and then he's sending us the update it's like the yes. the bite of the cookie that we couldn't chew off like he gave us that bite and teed yes. it up so perfectly i just i've never worked with jimmy i think i've talked to jimmy once in person but this guy is an exceptional human being yeah he and i had dinner in new york a little while ago he is on top of it. Like he lives and breathes the system and he's like, I have a huge opportunity in front of me and it's real. It's like an uphill battle fighting Clavio in some ways, certainly because Clavio is an 800 pound gorilla in the room, but like they're public, they're very expensive. And so he's like, you know, there's a real, ch- he's a real challenge to them. And yeah, like, you know, agree. I think that for one of the first episodes at the, at the beginning of the year we talked about where we're like SaaS pricing is going to come down. Yeah. Yacht Pro pricing is already, Yacht Pro has said at least that they brought pricing down. Although I haven't, uh, like, you know, I'm not in the details enough to know that. But I also think that Clavio will have to bring pricing down because more and more people, like more and more of their $10,000 a month accounts are going to go to Sunlane as opposed to be on Clavio. 
if the cost difference is $50,000. A lot of these totally. businesses are bootstrapped and like $50,000 means two fant- insane vacations for uh, like, you know, a bootstrap, the owner of that business or yeah. five insane vacations or like, you know, putting a kid through college. And totally. so if I was a parent and I was running my business and I was like, should I pay Clavio 10 or uh, Sunlane five? I'd be like, well, there's tuition if I switch over to Sunlane. And so I think, I, uh, you know, I do think that Clavio will have to respond to that at some point, but let me go through the email and what he, uh, like, Perfect. so let me start out by saying what Google has said. So they, they switched these enforcement guidelines starting February 1st, 2024. We're on, we're February 4th when we're recording this. So we're very close to that date. And what they said is uh, enforcement for bulk senders that don't meet these guidelines will be gradual. And so what ha- will happen is bulk senders and bulk senders are defined as people who send out more than 5,000 emails in one day. And so, like, you know, that'd be great if you were like, look, I have to get to 5,000 transactions a day in order to become a bulk sender. Well, chances are you're sending a campaign email to more than 5,000 people. Yeah. Plus so you flows. are already a bulk sender. Plus the flows. Yeah. And like, you know, Black Friday is going to come up. Right. And, and, uh, so anyway, so like in, it says in February 2024, bulk senders who don't meet their requirements will start getting temporary errors. And I've already seen some of these come across, frankly, and it's only the fourth. So I'm a little nervous now. Uh, uh-huh. On a small percentage of their non-compliant email traffic. In April 2024, this is what Google says, we'll start rejecting a percentage of non-compliant email traffic and will gradually increase the rejection rate. For example, if a, if 75% of a sender's traffic meets our requirements, we'll start rejecting a percentage of the remaining 25% of the traffic that isn't compliant. And so what they're basically saying here is that, look, we have these requirements and if you don't do what we're telling you to do right away, it's not going to be a flip of a switch. It'll be like gradual, sort of like a dimmer versus the flip of a light switch, where we're going to make it harder and harder for your emails to get delivered before you start becoming a good actor as opposed to a bad actor. I thought this was going to happen February 1st, but they said June 1st. Bulk senders have until June 1st to implement one-click unsubscribe in all commercial promotional messages. So you do wow. have a little bit more time to do that. Uh, but... It does say that 0.3% spam rates will get you blocked. Or like, you know, I'm sorry, I think the Sunlane guy sent me this. 0.3% spam rates will get you blocked. No email will be accepted if you have that high spam rate. You've got to like, you've got to wait uh, for that. Like you for, you basically have burned yourself and you've got to wait for that burn to heal a little bit before Google will allow you to send emails again. And you, you know, you can already look at some of this stuff by installing Google Postmaster tools on your sending domain. I guess let, let me ask you a question. Do you think any of this will matter or do you think everybody's already a good enough actor generally that's listening to this? It's only like those crazy spam, you know, I, I still get a bunch of spam messages. Obviously, it's only the spam guys that are going to get blocked. Or do you think that like good actors will like, you know, people who are trying to be good actors, let me put it that way, will also get damaged by this? I think both. I think the intention for Google is to get away from some of the spam and the scamming that happens through email, but I do, you know, 0.3% of the minimum threshold here, which is 5,000, that's 15 people. If 15 people complain in a day's worth of emails, that kind of puts you in red territory with Google, which is pretty alarming. I do think that good brands or, you know, really anybody listening to this, like you just got to make sure you are constantly auditing what you're doing. Is what you're doing compliant? Is it up to the latest information that's been put out by Google? You know, this is not something that you want to necessarily mess around with. You know, we just have to be more careful. Like there are going to be things where uh, you might decide, you know, maybe it's not worth that extra send over here. It's not worth that extra 
push over here. I think people will definitely get penalized by accident, but that's because, again, they're not going to be constantly checking this. I think it's going to be huge on, you know, if you run email for a brand internally or as an agency externally, this is the one thing that I think is going to either make your life really great. You know, it's going to put you on top of the world when somebody recognizes that you caught something early before it was too late, but it's also going to be the, be the thing that could end your business or could cause a lot of issues because, you know, if you're running email for a brand that's doing $80 million and you didn't check the box on something that messes with Google and fucks up your email, you're fired. There's no, there's no going back from there. Yeah. Well, not only that, like uh, the business is dead. <laughs> like, yeah. You like, you know, it's a body blow to the huge body blow to the business. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And generally I think good actors will be fine with most of it. Where it will trip up good actors is the holiday season. And I think yes. that's why they started in February because they're like, look, get into the uh, behavior of like getting good. And I don't know what things will look like in Black Friday, but like, you know, one of the things that we used to do is we used to be like, okay, when it comes to Black Friday, it turns out more emails equals better. We'd be like, oh, we already sent out three. Should we send out a fourth? And we're like, yeah, it turned out like we did the analytics after a couple of years and we're like, yes, four is better than three and five is better than four. At some point, I think this might reverse the trend. And I'm yeah. not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because I'm not sure there's enough bad actors already. Like I feel like the system already works, but I don't know what it'll look like a few years from now. I'm trying to think like who's making money off this decision, and it doesn't seem like anybody's making more money off this decision. Which makes me think that this might be something that like the European government is like pushing Google on. Do you know where any of this started? Uh, no, but I think when I think about it all, I always go back to like ads. It like makes ads better. Like, you know, what is going to be helpful is if you run ads into emails now, like, you know, you run those yeah. Google ads that show up in your Gmail inbox because now ads show up there. And so I always feel like the guy who's making it harder for merchants to show what they want to you is somehow going to like gatekeep uh, those eyeballs and charge you to see them at some point. Speaking of ads and email, you know, what we haven't seen really any update on is um, Apple's ad platform or like, remember they were hiring a ton of people at one point. I feel like there hasn't been any news on that. Their ad platform because they're going to like create a new one based on like iOS 14.5 or their ad platform just for like, like, you know, a competitor to Google display sort of. Exactly. The latter more so like figuring okay, out gotcha. how do you show up and put in all the places of inventory that they have. Yeah, that is a good question. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm I haven't seen anything on that. Okay. That sounds great. Uh, okay, if we have five more minutes, I'm not sure if we have five more minutes, but if we sure. do, I want to talk about barcodes really quickly because there's this great podcast in the Atlantic. Uh, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but we never got to it, which is like, you know, it turns out like the UPC barcode that we see on all of these items was invented by IBM. It was made in a very un-American way where a bunch of people got together and they're like, let's make a barcode that everybody uses across the world or across the United States and nobody will make money on it which yeah. is really surprising. But that's sort of how it got started. And think about like pre-barcode, you could never have a Walmart, right? Like this, the podcast went through this. You could never have Walmart because, you know, when I, I, I worked at a gas station and for a long time, we didn't have a barcode scanner. And so I had to know the prices of a Snickers bar, uh, a Snickers king size bar, a Coca-Cola 20 ounce, a Coca-Cola can, a Coca-Cola liter. All of those things had to sit in my head. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when we got a barcode scanner, we could program everything. Like, you know, when we hired an employee, we're like, great, you work here now. You cannot like run the cash register until you remember the prices of everything in this store. 
a lot of the prices we tried to put with a price tag on each individual item. So if we got like a box of Snickers, we put a price tag on each individual item. But sometimes we wouldn't do that. And so the the cashier had to remember all the prices. UPC made it, it made, like made it so Walmart could operate, right? Like you could all of a sudden have two hundred thousand SKUs in a store, and like you know the cashier could just scan an item and it didn't matter what she didn't have to remember the price or he didn't have to remember the right. price. In 2027, barcodes are going to change. Like the UPC codes that you see on every single box of cereal and Snickers bar and Coca-Cola are going to change. And they're going to change to QR codes. And the QR codes are going to contain way more information. And so imagine like, uh, like the UPC code can only know like the name of something and the price of something. Uh, like, you know, the, like that's what it does. But ima- QR codes can contain way more information. And so what it can say is well, this milk, when you scan it, the scanner and the computer can know the expiration date mm-hmm. of this milk versus another uh, another bottle of milk, even though they sort of share the same price. And so they can contain the ingredients. And so you can go in and say, like, imagine going to a grocery store and you know how at Whole Foods you scan your like uh, prime code bar- QR code, your prime code yeah. QR code. Imagine if you scan that and it said, "Hey, look, we know that you're allergic to dairy. These three items that you purchased have dairy in them." Oh yeah, that is sick. Or imagine, and this is none of this is uh, my thinking. This is the uh, this was all in the podcast. It was so you good. Just um, it. It, yeah. No. Uh, another <laughs> thing they said it was like, imagine if this milk is expiring. This milk is going to expire in three days. Other milk is going to expire in a week. We're only going to put on sale milk that expires three days. You can just program that into your system. Even though it's the exact same milk, they have different expiration dates. Well, now this is for sa- this is on sale faster than this is on sale. Or you can be like, you know what? This box of um, cereal is expired. When you scan it, you're like, this box is expired. Don't sell this. Tell a customer to go buy another a box of cereal. Don't sell them this one. And so uh, QR codes in 2027 are going to like make it so that retail stores have a lot more flexibility and knowledge when it comes to uh, checking out. And I, I saw this podcast. And I was like, this is amazing. Like those old QR awesome. codes have been around since the forties. Yeah. And so in 2020, like, you know, it's been almost a hundred years of UPC codes. We're going to change to QR codes. And the basically the article ended with the death of QR codes is going to come too because Amazon is trying to make it so that their AI like they can just have a computer, like they can have a camera and identify what the product is through AI. They don't even need to scan a code. Wow. I, I guess between AI and QR codes, they're going to completely skip the whole NFC tagging, which I feel like had potential up until AI came out and AI computer vision. Remember NFCs? Like you could basically hover your phone over a product and it would just pop up with, you know, you don't have to scan something with a camera, it just picks up on the sticker and the information that's hidden in the sticker. Yeah, yeah. You know who does this, I think, is Uniqlo. Have you been to Uniqlo ever in like Soho? Yeah, I haven't done this. If if you go to the self-checkout at Uniqlo, you can take like, I bought my, I was buying a jacket from there and they're just like, put it in this box and you put it in the box and it scans. It's got an RFID actually. And it's it knows what the item is as a result of the RFID. You can put in 40 items at a time into the box, I think. Yeah. It scans all of the RFIDs and charges you right away. Wow. It's That's crazy awesome. how how fast the world is evolving. And it's so yeah. much fun to see. I know. It's awesome. I'm really curious how the QR code is going to translate to e-commerce or to data collection or warranty registration, things like that. I, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. going to be so warranty many possibilities. Point. 
Uh, okay, awesome. I think that's a wrap for this episode. Next episode, we got to do a few things. One is I want to audit this website with you where we do a conversion rate optimization uh, audit of a Love website it. that we chose through Twitter. I'm not going to tell you what the site is. We're going to do it live on the next episode. There's some M&A chat that I want to talk to you about. Nut Pods, Bloom Nutrition, which we haven't talked about. Bloom Nutrition just raised $90 million. Wow. Sanzo. And then a little bit more news about Facebook and maybe even about something Navy if we've got time on the next episode. Amazing. I'm pumped. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, guys. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.